Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. Wow. (laughs) We've been waiting to say those words for so long. Yes, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the dumpster diving. (laughs) Literal dumpster diving. (laughs) That has gone into this. I mean, uh, so, so excited to finally be here. So, let's just dive right in. Let's jump in. Yes. Let's jump in. So, like we said, I'm, I'm Callie. I'm Rachel. And... We are two pelvic health physical therapists. We work at Optimal Physical Therapy in Amarillo, Texas. We both graduated together from Texas Tech University Health Science Center with Mm -hmm. our doctorates in physical therapy. I've been here at Optimal since March. I did a clinical Mm -hmm. rotation here, and that's kind of how I ended up here. You've been here since... I've been here since May, yeah. Since May. So... Um, Callie was lucky enough to do actually one of her clinical rotations here at Optimal for um, her last rotation. And then I had started shadowing the woman who's actually now our boss um, when I was still in PT school. And so kind of got plugged in with her. And uh, yeah, here we both are. Yeah, just tearing it up, having a great time. (laughs) Finally starting this, hoping to educate some people on the pelvic floor. So we really wanted this episode to be an introduction to who we are as therapists, as people, and then an introduction to this entire podcast. Mm -hmm. What's it going to be? What are we going to talk about? I guess let's start with the basics of why did we become physical therapists? So for me personally, I started considering physical therapy around the time, and I guess I was elementary school when my grandfather on my dad's side had a back surgery that just went really bad and he ended up actually with a spinal cord injury oh my from goodness. it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, paralyzed from the waist down. I don't know if it was an what? upper thoracic injury. I don't know. Yeah. So that's when I was really exposed to physical therapy. Goodness. Um, but what was so cool, I remember we saw him in the hospital and I saw him actually at his inpatient rehab. By the time he came home, he was my granddad in a wheelchair. It didn't change anything. And I remember seeing what I now know are transfers, wheelchair mobility, all of that, and thinking it was so cool. I was a kid. I didn't understand all of the implications, Mm -hmm. but I just, I just put two and two together that he was at this place with this really cool stuff. And now he's home and he's normal. I mean, a little bit different, but he's the same person. And I was like, I, I want to be a part of that. At some point I considered nursing, finally switched to PT, and here we are. (laughs) Well, what about you, Rachel? What made you want to be a PT? Yeah, so I, like a lot of other physical therapists, I got hurt when (laughs) I was, um, you know, young and playing soccer. I was super involved with sports, and um, my kneecaps weren't quite tracking the way that they should be, and it really hurt. So I needed physical therapy when I was in about eighth grade and, um, it only took like one session, um, with this PT. And I think I asked him probably 150 questions about, (laughs) okay, how do I become a physical therapist? Tell me about everything that you do. Can I come shadow you? He's like, you're 14. You're fine. (laughs) You don't need to be worrying about this stuff. Um, but it was pretty much ever since that first day, I was just kind of like, yep, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want. 
So very, very yeah. cool. So yeah. what made you want to get into pelvic floor? Because rehab for a knee is a far cry from what we do here. <laughs> just a little bit different. <laughs> just a little bit different. Um, I had very, very briefly considered going to medical school. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, if I'm going to go to med school, like I know exactly what I want to do. I want to be an OBGYN and I want to be delivering babies. And like, that's, that's where I'm headed. If that's the route that I take, um, ended up feeling just, you know, a bit more of a call and more of a push to go the physical therapy route. And, um, it wasn't really until after we had started school already, we were about six months into school and we went to a bunch of us went to the Texas physical therapy association conference down in San Antonio that year. And we went to a four hour lecture on pelvic floor physical therapy. And I just remember sitting up in the front, like all the other chairs were taken. So I was like literally like by myself in the front row. And I just remember like just looking up at this woman, like, oh my gosh, she's, I want to be her. And like the way that she was talking about her patients and her treatment and things like that, I was just kind of like, okay, like to me, that is so much more meaningful and so much more impactful than, you know, rehabbing a shoulder. Now, don't get me wrong. Rehabbing a shoulder is extremely, extremely important. Oh, for sure. But being able to stop leakage and be intimate with a partner without pain, just some of the, the gains that her patients had made in such a short amount of time, I was just like, that's what I want to do. So we walked out of that lecture and with my group of friends and they were all like, absolutely not. Never in a million years could I, will I ever be doing this? And I just remember being like, what are you talking about? That was the best four hours of my life. Like that was amazing. I want to do that. And a couple of them had said, you know what? Yep, Rachel, that fits with you and your personality. Oh, <laughs> you were so aggressive about it, which I love now. Now, love it. It's amazing. Love your passion. But I remember in school, there was one specific incident. You had not let us forget that you were going to this class, this pelvic floor class, yep. the day after finals. And you walk into finals <laughs> after talking to everyone about how you had this pelvic floor class, internal treatment will be part of this class. And you walk in with, I kid you not, four inch claws on your fingernails. Listen, it was finals week. I was stressed. I needed to get my nails done to feel better. It was self-care. I took them off. They were, Just, they were not there after the class. <laughs> that was how I knew you in school, though. You were the pelvic floor girl. And yeah. we had this professor, this male professor. Bless sweetest, his sweetheart. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This man was the most shy, sweetest. Just so reserved. Yes. And, Rachel, you loved tormenting this poor I man. I, we would be in lab and he would bring up, oh, back pain. What should we do for back pain? And you would raise your hand and I could just see him go like pale. <laughs> Anybody else? And, uh. and finally he'd have to be like, Rachel, you're like, check the pelvic floor. <laughs> be like, so I'm going to ask about incontinence and I'm going to ask about prolapse and I'm going to ask about pain with sex. And he's like, just like, he's like, this is mechanical okay. low back pain, but thank you for your input. <laughs> every I'm not kidding I think every assignment that we had to do in class like I somehow brought it back to the pelvic floor like if we had to do like a write-up on a research article or you know what's the most effic um, efficacious treatment for this for x y and z like it was I'm not kidding it was pelvic floor all day long pages, pages yes and pages. 
Yes. And I remember I was terrified. I was like, okay, Rachel is she so was. aggressive about pelvic floor. That's not really something I will be interested in. She literally said to me, like looked me in the face and was just like, you know what, Rachel, that's great for you. I'm really happy for Love you that, that journey you found for you. your passion. She was like, I'll sit all my patients to you. Never in a million years will I be doing anything related to the pelvic floor. So fast forward to December of my clinical rotation. This was 2020? Yeah. Yeah, 2020. Fate had a little bit of a sense of humor. I was actually in a clinic. My professor, or not my professor, my clinical instructor ended up getting COVID. And the only other therapist there was a pelvic floor physical therapist. And so I saw so much pelvic floor, which I had been seeing some of what she did before, but then I got stuck with her and it was the best thing ever. And I just saw, like you said, the way this drastically changes people's lives. And then, you know, before in my mind, I was like, oh, that's weird. That's strange. It's not weird. It's it's healthcare. It's mm-hmm. It's helping people that need it. And there was just so much more fulfillment in it for me when I 100%. saw just the quality of life. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, like you said, shoulder rehabilitation, super important to be able to reach and grab things. But when a patient has been incontinent and embarrassed to go out in public for years Years. and then they come to you and they're like, I haven't worn a pad Mm -hmm. in forever. I don't know the last time I was incontinent. And you can just see this glow on their face. And I was like, this, this is what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. I, I remember texting you and I was like, Rachel how do I get a public floor clinical rotation? the best text I have ever received (laughs) in my entire life. And it was funny too, because at the time I was actually on my pelvic specific clinical rotation as well. Um, I was actually up in um, Casper, Wyoming. So it was quite a ways away from Texas, but um, was literally having the time of my life. And I remember I was actually sitting next to my CI when (laughs) Callie texted me that. And she goes, Rachel, help. I accidentally fell in love with pelvic (laughs) floor. she's like I don't know what to do and I start like smacking my CI I'm like you'll never guess this text that I just received I could not be happier right now and um I had told her and I knew from my experience shadowing with our boss here at Optimal um I knew that she uh took students for their last rotation because it is pretty it is I will say it's a pretty advanced um clinical setting even more so you got to know your anatomy you got to know um, pain patterns and neural patterns and everything like that. And there's a, there's a a much higher level of professionalism and etiquette that comes into what we treat. And so, you know, our boss usually only takes students on their very last clinical because they've been through, you know, at that point, six, seven months of clinical rotations. And they, you know, you, you got a little bit more, a little bit more experience under your belt at that point. So I texted her and said, you know, get, see if you can reach out to Alita. I think I sent you her number. It was mm-hmm. like, text her, call her, see if you can change your last rotation. Um, and you know, see if you can get in with Alita and, uh, lo and, and behold. Yes. So shout out to Dr. Miller, who's kind of our coordinator. Mm-hmm. She initially had told me, no, Alita is not taking students. We can't switch you. And then she, I think she talked to Alita and actually was like, stuck her neck out for me. So yeah. thank you. Misty. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Misty. Um, But yeah, you talked about it being an intense rotation. Alita, our current boss, she put me through the ringer. I believe it. Before I I could even touch a patient, I had to go through both of her um, Herman and Wallace 1 and Mm -hmm. 2 course books. 
I had to take a test. Um, what else? Oh, she had a paper cutout model of the pelvic floor. Um, and I had to practice. Like, she literally cut a hole yep. in the paper where yep. the <clears throat> vaginal opening would be. And I had to practice finding the muscles. Um, and then she actually made me practice an internal exam on her and made me tell her what muscle I was on, what I was doing. Like, it was it's very yeah. intense. Yeah. But amazing and I I learned more in that clinical rotation than I did in all of my others combined and I had good rotations it just it was amazing yeah (laughs) yeah and it was funny I had actually when I found this class um so I actually took uh, my continuing education course through the American Physical Therapy Association um the section on pelvic health and there's a lot of other organizations out there that have you know continuing education courses related to the pelvic floor and kind of how to treat it what to treat um all that good stuff but I had found that clinic or that um continuing ed course and it ended up being like 20 minutes away from where I lived that started the day after we finished finals and it was literally like it just fell into my lap and um but yeah it's it's kind of cool you know Kelly and Alita have kind of gotten their education through Herman and Wallace I got mine through a different you know governing body so it's kind of cool we can kind of compare notes and be like hey we talked about this or like they use this analogy like oh I really like that let me start using that um, and so it's really been pretty cool to kind of yeah. kind of compare. It's so. really that's what I love about being here is we've got really just this big melting pot. Mm-hmm. Everybody, it's not like oh I treat my patients in this quiet hush hush yeah. corner. We talk yeah. and we collaborate. Of mm-hmm. hey, this worked with my patient. You might try this. Yeah, and, like and I don't know what to do with this yes. patient. Like they're so, presenting weird. There's really a team approach. Like anytime 100%. you come here, you may be seeing the same therapist, but you're getting input from oh, 100 different people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've come back, you know, to like our little office and be like, okay, so this hurts when they do this and that, but it also feels better when they do this. And I don't know about that. And then it's like, oh, have you tried this? No, I haven't. I'll be right back. And then we'll come back 10 minutes later and be like, yep, that worked great. Fantastic. (laughs) It's great. We're forever practicing new techniques on each other. Just having a great time. Having a great time. So Rachel and I start working together. Yep, about May we had just graduated. We both worked on a on a temporary license um, while we awaited the dreaded board exam. Oh that was so stressful. <laughs> to distract ourselves, we just started brainstorming and talking about mm. pretty much everything that was wrong with the American Literally. healthcare system. <laughs> yeah. And then we just started talking and really ranting to one another, and we mm. had a lot of feelings about <laughs> we pelvic floor had a lot and of feelings. treatment. And we decided. Let's start a podcast. Let's start a podcast. There's there's not this information out there. The mm-hmm. amount of people that just have no idea. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I was actually talking to, I snuck over to the ortho side of the clinic and I was talking <laughs> Went to, to the dark side. Yeah. See how the other half lives. <laughs> but I was talking to one of our orthotherapist patients who used to work in um, women's healthcare. And she said they had a wall with all of the slang words for female genitalia. So you can imagine all oh, the boy. crude things. And anytime someone came in, they would say, okay, do you like, what's the slang you've heard for female genitalia? And they would write it and put it up on this wall. And then she would talk to these girls and be like, okay, so that's what you've heard it called. Mm-hmm. What, what's the actual anatomical terms for your body? And she was like, 90% of these girls they had no idea. Don't know. And she said something that really stuck with me. She said, if these girls are not educated about their body and their anatomy from 
somebody who's going to give them a proper education, they're going to be educated by sexual partners or by the world, by the slang terms. And that is going to define them and their bodies. Yeah, and what they think and how they feel about themselves and their own their own yeah. anatomy. And that pretty much lit a fire. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> and I like I remember personally too, sixth grade taking health and being excited. I was like, yeah. I'm gonna learn. Like what's happening? What's Why going don't I, on? what is this? And nothing. And then yeah. again in eighth grade, health class. Yes, we're gonna learn. We're in eighth grade now, almost to high school. They're gonna teach us about our bodies nothing. And then high school health. I was like, this is it. We're in high school. And it was taught by a coach. And I mean, we got nothing. We got paperwork. Textbook was never cracked open. We watched like Friday night lights in health class. I mean, no kind of education regarding my body, my anatomy, nothing. It was not until probably college anatomy class that I had any, and even then I still didn't even grasp my own body. Yeah. Yeah. It it really wasn't until like, yeah, we got in depth of, you know, like, okay, genitalia and like, this is the uterus. This is the ovary. This is what happens during your cycle. And for men, you know, this is where semen is produced and this is how it tra- traverses through the body and, it, you know, things like that. But at the same time, it's like, we're not taught like what is normal functioning and what is healthy functioning. We're taught it in such an anatomical and scientific way that it's like, okay, how can I even apply that to myself and to my own body? Yes. It's just like somewhere along the way, anything revolving around pelvic health, pelvic physiology, it got labeled as dirty or as something that's embarrassing and And taboo. And it's, it, it breaks my heart and I can't tell you how many patients like I spend and Kelly and I both talked about this like we spend significant amount of time in every session but especially that first session that initial examination of just anatomy of just hey this is what your body is doing this is what it looks like this is where your bladder sits this is where your uterus sits this is where the rectum sits this is how these things function and then that plays a role into okay this is your pelvic floor. Like there are muscles here and these muscles, like I always say, like these muscles are made of the exact same muscle tissue, the exact same muscle fibers that are found in your biceps and in your quads and in your hamstrings. Like you have that same voluntary control. You have that same function through these muscles. They just have other involuntary functions. They have other purposes as well. And it just like, I can see my patients looking at me with like these big wide saucer eyes of like, wait, I had no idea that that's how it worked. And Kelly and I are both just like, you know what? Enough is enough. Like we need to, we need to change the narrative, you know, break the stigma. This isn't something taboo to talk about. We need to talk about it and it's time. I, I mean, even me personally understanding that pelvic, what the pelvic floor was, I didn't get that until PT school. Mm -hmm. So doctorate level gross anatomy. Yeah. Before I knew that I had muscles that controlled my bladder function or muscles that controlled sexual function Mm -hmm. or having a bowel movement. And I, so gross anatomy was when I knew that that existed. It wasn't until Alita's lecture, which, I mean, tech exposes us to pelvic floor more than most programs. However, that still was just a very small lecture series. a fraction of what is out there. Just kind of thrown in there. And that's when I actually started recognizing, ooh, that's not normal in me. Like, (laughs) wait, I'm not, that's not supposed to happen? Okay, okay. 
So when you don't have any idea of what it is or what's going on, and then on top of that, no idea of function, you're not going to know what normal and abnormal right, is. And right. that's what is was actually terrifying to me when I started when I started working as a pelvic health therapist. People have no idea what's normal no. and what's not normal. Because and it's because we're told so many abnormal things are normal. Like I can't tell you how many times I heard growing up as a child, like, oh yeah, it's just normal to leak after you have kids because, you know, whenever you laugh or cough or or sneeze, like that's that just happens. That's part of being a woman. That's part of having kids. And it's like absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> no amount of leakage is normal. Just because your body has gone through this drastic change like a pregnancy does not in any way mean that leakage is normal or that pain with sex is normal or that constipation is normal. Like these things are so just normalized. And unfortunately, it's just one of those things where, you know, like you said, people don't know what is normal. And if you don't know what's normal, then you're not going to know when to go seek help. And you're not going to know that you don't have to live with that, that you don't have to wear pads every single time you leave the house. And what I think is even more scary as I went through the pelvic health world is the amount of referring physicians who don't yeah. know. And the things patients told me they've been told by their doctors. Now, that is not a blanket statement for all physicians. Absolutely not. in Amarillo, we have phenomenal physicians doing yep. amazing jobs. They're, they're helping their patients. They're getting people in to see us who need to be seen. Mm-hmm. But there is still a gap. Yes. There is still a gap. And the, the amount of patients I have that have had to wait or beg for a referral for a problem that is now 50 problems on top of... One problem one thing. that we could have solved with three sessions, and now they're, they've been having this problem for years. I think you read me a statistic the other day. What was it? Oh, it was um, – oh, shoot, what was it? I think it was like 80% of women um, can solve stress incontinence issues within three visits. Okay, that was that's a good one. What I was talking about, I think it was – yeah, there's another one. There was another one. <laughs> if this tells you what we talked about all day. All day. <laughs> it was like the average woman waits seven years mm-hmm. before she will get treatment for incontinence. Yep, that's what it was. That's what it was. Um, and, yeah, it really, it really sucks. It really sucks. And it's um, one of the things that we're kind of trying to change about pelvic floor physical therapy and the misconceptions about it. Another reason why we wanted to start this podcast is because – Unfortunately, a lot of people in general, including doctors, physicians, and, you know, other healthcare providers think that, oh, well, pelvic floor physical therapy is just Kegels. Oh my goodness. You're that's gonna... a whole, that's a whole Ooh, nother that... episode. Lock. We are going to get fired up. Ooh, I have a love-hate relationship with Kegels. Yep. Me because too. so often they are not, they're not applied the appropriately yep. and yep. they're not even the answer. There's yeah. Anyways, like Again, you said, a whole nother episode. <laughs> whole, whole nother episode. But I think one of the things that, or one something that one of my patients told me once, and just kind of how she got in to see us in the in the first place was just broke my heart. And as we were going through the eval and kind of as she was explaining to me her issues and her problems and her symptoms, what she was experiencing, how long she had been experiencing these things. I just kind of looked at her and I was just, and in my head, I was just thinking she should have been in here years ago years ago and and like you said like it started off as you know maybe a simple problem that 
very easily could have been fixed in a few treatments and a few visits. But now, because it has kind of progressed into that chronic phase, now all of a sudden we're dealing with so many more involvements of different body parts and, you know, the psychosocial component of what goes into the pelvic floor, which again, a whole nother episode in yeah. and of itself. But, you know, and and she tells me, she looked at me and she was like, I finally found a specialist that I had to call in Maine. And this doctor was on the phone with her and just goes, have you not been to pelvic floor physical therapy before? Like, did that not work? Like, what happened? And my patient just goes, I had never heard of it before. Had never heard of it before. This woman had been through, you know, a hysterectomy, multiple abdominal surgeries, pain with sex, stress incontinence, just chronic, chronic cramping and just abdominal and pelvic pain that she'd been dealing with for years. And this doctor finally in Maine was just like, why have you not been to see a pelvic floor therapist? And she's like, I didn't even know that it existed. I didn't know that this was a thing. And she is, I'm happy to report she is thriving. She is, has just seriously turned things around night and day since we started working together. And it's just, that, sh- that should not happen. That is not okay. That should not happen. I had a not exact, but similar story. Um, a patient I had in, she told me a year ago, she asked her doctor for a pelvic floor, actually requested, can I please go to f- pelvic floor physical therapy? Because unfortunately, the way the state of Texas works, with our direct access, we can only see you for 10 days mm-hmm. without a physician referral. And so really to do any kind of real work long-term, you've got to have that referral. So she had asked for that a year ago. And her physician's response was, you don't need a pelvic floor referral. I perform surgery on you and you're fixed. And she was still having the same problems, the same issues. Finally, a year later, she got in to see another doctor who referred her here. And I mean, this woman was just in tears, both with frustration and years of emotional and physical pain and like you said it by the time she got to see me there were so many other problems that could have been avoided if she had just been properly educated and given the tools forever ago a year ago when she asked and so there was just too many stories like that too many too many we had heard from other providers and then that we had seen ourselves we were like it's time to do something so here we are so here we are So the next question we wanted to address is what are we going to talk about on this podcast? And all of it. For all of you Mean Girl fans, the limit does not exist. (laughs) (laughs) Literally anything is going to go on this podcast. We want to talk about everything from, of course, you know, anatomy and proper function, what a healthy pelvic floor looks like. We're going to talk about all sorts of dysfunction. We're going to talk about all sorts of pain, the things that we treat. We're going to have specific episodes designated to specific diagnoses, probably the most common ones that we treat. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about men. Men, you have a pelvic floor too. Yes. And there's so many things that men don't realize can be fixed with pelvic floor mm-hmm. therapy. There's things that men take a little blue pill for that can we be... We can't fix it. You don't... Yeah. So, so many things. Um, we also... I kind of did a poll on my personal Instagram mm-hmm. to get things you guys wanted to hear. We'll discuss that in a little bit. But we're going to take questions. We're going to answer yeah. questions. Um in the future, we plan to have guests on. There's a couple physicians in town mm-hmm. that we plan to have on. We'll have our boss in here. Yes. Um, paperwork willing. We might have a few patients come in yeah. that are willing to kind of share their stories of, you know, what 
what their treatment has kind of looked like and and what we've been able to do for them. So, and once we get through kind of some of the basics, um, really what we've talked about is we want to know what you guys want to hear mm-hmm. because this is the whole point of this podcast is is patient specific. We want yeah. to take the pelvic floor, pelvic functioning, women and men's pelvic health care and talk about it on a level that you guys can understand, um, that you guys can engage in, and that's going to be beneficial to the patient population. We want this to be, we want everything related to the pelvic floor to become common knowledge. Like we want this to be like, oh, I'm having this problem. First thing I'm going to do is go see a pelvic PT. Like that's kind of what, what our hopes and dreams are for this podcast. Um, we also want it to just be really, really chill. Like mm-hmm. Callie and I are great friends. We can say we can have a conversation about this stuff all day. We do sit and have conversations about yes. this all day long. Um, and so if there's any questions that you guys have that you, you know, you might be embarrassed to ask, you know, a parent or a friend or a sibling, like, please, please, please let us know. We'd be more than happy to answer those questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question or a bad question. Like, like we've said, we get this information like one time in sixth grade and then we never talk about it again. So yes, anything goes. And you mentioned like being embarrassed about it and anything you guys write in will always be anonymous always. or we can answer it. And if you're like, Hey, please don't talk about this on the podcast. We won't obviously yeah. just go ahead and put that disclaimer. But I did want to talk about that's something we would like to change with this podcast. There's so much shame and embarrassment around pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, Women that have the pelvic floor. Yes. In general. I've asked patients to take a mirror and examine their genitalia, pelvic floor. If they have a prolapse, I'm like, look at your prolapse. See where it's at. Can you see it? Ooh. They respond. I mean, you would have thought I asked them to take off their top and run naked through the town square. Literally. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like I asked, I'm like, go in the bathroom, lock the door, and look at your your body privately. And they're like, I do what? I can't do what? I could never. I, yeah, I I had the same thing. Pretty much, I think it was yesterday, the day before. Um, you know, pretty much had the same conversation with one of my patients of like. I was, she had a prolapse and I was kind of trying to teach her how to deal with it on her own and ways to kind of manage that independently. And she, I could tell her face was just kind of like, oh no, that's gross. I'm not going to do that. And I was like, what? Why is it gross? What? And I was like, have, I was like, have you, have you ever looked at, looked down there? She was like, no. And I was like, okay, we'll start there. That'll be step one. Just take a mirror. Even if it's just a quick, like, whoop, done. Like just at least take a gander. Um, but yeah, we just, there's not absolutely nothing to be ashamed no. of. It is your body. It is completely natural. It is completely beautiful. It is absolutely That's beautiful. The amount of times patients apologize. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, you are beautifully created. Yep. There is nothing you need to apologize nope. for. This is healthcare you are beautiful. Your body is beautiful. The way your body functions is beautiful. It's not functioning like it needs to now, but we are going to fix it. And the fact why you're here. And I tell patients all the time, I'm like, you should be proud of yourself for, for showing up. Yeah. Just for being, just for walking into that door, get rid of the shame, get rid of the embarrassment. I want you to feel nothing but pride for taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just how we want to start I guess changing the narrative. That's what what we want people to think. We don't want shame and dirtiness. We want be proud of yourself. Yes. Love yourself. Love yourself enough to take care of yourself. So, that's kind of where we're hoping that's where we're going to head with this. <laughs> so, I want to do a quick little Q 
Q&A just for yes. us. My question for you, Rachel, mm-hmm. what do you treat the most? What do you think you see? I will say lately I have been getting a lot of patients with dyspareunia. And do you want to explain what that is? I would love to. Let me tell you all about it. Dyspareunia is kind of the technical, if you will, medical term for pain with sex. And it can be pain with penile penetration, with digital penetration, with clitoral stimulation, with even pain with climax. Just Um, a blanket. A blanket term for pain with sex. And so I will say that that's definitely one of my favorite things to treat because it's actually usually pretty easy to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, nine times out of 10, I'll say it's you know usually due to an overactivity of those pelvic floor muscles. Um, we're going to get into all of that in later episodes, but you can carry stress in your pelvic floor the same way you carry stress in your shoulders and in your forehead and in your jaw. And when that happens and when those muscles are cramped down and spastic, they are not going to want anything to come near them let alone something coming inside of you. So um, that is definitely kind of one of the things that I've been treating a lot lately um, and definitely one of my favorite things to treat too. So how about you? Um, Recently, I had a, like I had a pelvic pain phase there for a little bit, but recently I've been seeing a lot of incontinence, both stress incontinence, which stress incontinence, you'll hear us talk about that a lot. Stress incontinence is... um, Leaking urine when you sneeze, when you jump, when you run, any kind of forceful activity that causes extra stress to the bladder, you get leaking with that. So that's stress incontinence. And incontinence, that word basically just means anything coming out of you that you didn't plan on coming out of you. So you can have urinary incontinence, meaning you pee without wanting to, not when you're prepared to. You can also have fecal incontinence, meaning, you know, leakage of stool, whether it's loose, well-formed, even Mm -hmm. gas kind of sneaking by him. So that's what incontinence means. But my favorite thing to treat probably has to be fake interstitial cystitis yes (laughs) we talk about this a lot there are some diagnoses out there that were like is that actually what it is so interstitial interstitial cystitis i see for short is there's a lot it's it's a also a garbage bag term yeah very i mean i have a couple patients right now that have actual interstitial cystitis i see we'll get into that explanation and what that is later but a lot of times Patients have just pelvic floor overactivities, like Rachel mentioned, and it just gets labeled as icy Mm -hmm. because someone didn't know what to do with it. And those patients are fun because icy, true icy, is very involved. I mean, there's special diets. There's all kinds of things. These patients, hoops are jumping through. So much that goes into it. And when they have just an overactivity and we correct that and we treat it and they're able, I mean, to very quickly progress stop having pain, stop having incontinence. They get to start eating whatever they want Yeah, if they drink enough water. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so fun when you realize you don't actually have this disease. We just yeah. had some muscle dysfunction. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably my favorite thing to treat. I love, it. I love it. All right. So if you follow me on my personal Instagram account, I put a little question questionnaire out there and asked you guys what you wanted to hear. Some of the responses I got was um, postpartum recovery, and then this was a really great one. Somebody said, common sense things that are not really that common. Yeah. And I was like, that is 
this podcast in a nutshell. That is literally. That is what we are going to talk about. Um, You guys wanted to hear about pregnancy and birth prep. A lot of people wanted that. Somebody said stretches to open up the pelvic floor. We are going to address all of this. Um, And so, so, so much more. Yes. So much more. Yes. Before we start getting into like specific treatments, um, we really want to establish what a healthy functioning pelvic floor looks like. And then from there, we'll start probably breaking down some dysfunction, things like that. And then plan is to look into maybe more treatment based. It'll just kind of depend on where this road takes us. (laughs) And then some questions you guys asked, which were really good questions, are what are signs my pelvic floor needs help? So tune in next week because next week we're going to tell you what it looks like when your pelvic floor is functioning optimally. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's not. That doesn't look like you. Then that is a sign you need to get in there. Optimal Physical Therapy in Amarillo, Texas. Yes. Shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next question was, how do you strengthen the pelvic floor? And this we're going to get into because that's not a black and white question. No. There is so many things surrounding that. I mean, there's strength, there's endurance, and Coordination. A lot of time, yeah, coordination, and then is it, how's your deep core? I mean, just a million, a million things. And if you have an overactivity, like Rachel mentioned, you do not need to be strengthening. Exactly. We've got to address that yeah. first. So a lot of times, people think their pelvic floor is weak. That's the go-to. Yeah. And most of the time, it's so much more complicated so much than more. that. So that question will be answered, yes. but it's going to be a pretty complicated It's not going to be what you think it is. <laughs> Um, somebody else asked, what all in the body does the pelvic floor influence? Short answer, everything. Everything. Yes. I mean. Literally everything. So many things. The pelvic floor is so fascinating because there's an intense network of nerves and blood vessels on top of all the muscles and organs that run through there. And so it has some very interesting referral patterns. Yeah. And what a referral pattern is, it just means you can feel pain somewhere like your abdomen, your low back even your leg, and it's actually coming from your pelvic floor. Yeah. So we're going to dive into that really and explain the pelvic floor influences everything. Everything. This was a really good question. This was from a fellow physical therapist. They wanted to know what the difference between an internal and an external pelvic floor exam is. Phenomenal question. Absolutely. That's going to get answered within the next, in the next few episodes. Yes. Yeah. We do want to, we are going to have, um, kind of an entire episode dedicated to like, okay, what does that visit with your pelvic floor physical therapist look like? Um, it can be really daunting and it can be kind of intimidating going to, um, a pelvic floor therapist, depending on kind of what you've heard about pelvic PT in the past and maybe what your doctor has mentioned to you in the past and, you know, kind of preparing you for that for that initial examination. So we want to have an entire episode dedicated to what that first visit looks like, what subsequent visits look like, even red flags that if your pelvic therapist is not addressing some of these things, ask about it, talk about it, bring up that conversation, um, things that should be addressed. So we want to take away any anxiety and any fears that you guys have about going to see a pelvic therapist. It's honestly, we're the best. We're so fun. (laughs) fun. (laughs) And obviously, ideally, we want you to come see us here at Optimal Physical Therapy. Yes. But really, our main goal with this is just that if you need help, you get it. Exactly. And so that's why we wanted to talk about what are some red flags? What are things to look at? Maybe you're not from Amarillo and you need help. I hope this podcast reaches more than just Amarillo peeps, but, um, 
yeah, we just want to make sure if you guys do get help, you know what to look for. Um, I can promise you at Optimal, the thing you can expect from your first exam is not having to do anything you don't want to do. The, the biggest fear I get from patients when they come here is, do I have to do internal the first day? And you come in and you don't know me from Adam. I'm just, right. we're strangers. You yeah. don't even, you leak and you're being sent to a physical therapist. Yeah. Like that in and of itself and, is like, what am I doing here? And so sometimes, yes, internal can be very beneficial. It can give us information. It is not required at that first visit or at any visit if you are not okay with that. And if your pelvic therapist says, no, we have to do internal today, you walk right out that door. Yeah. I mean, sometimes patients will tell me, oh, no, I'm okay with that. And if I'm getting a sense that they're not, they're just saying that to me just to try and make me happy or whatever. Or sometimes people are just so desperate for help that they'll do anything. But I can tell they're guarded. They're not comfortable. I don't do it. There is such a huge psychological component to the pelvic floor. And again, a whole nother episode in and of itself of, you know, unfortunately, you know, with past histories of trauma and sexual Mm -hmm. abuse and, you know, so much of our dignity as human beings and speaking for myself, just as a woman is kind of centered around our pelvic floor. Like if you can't make it to the bathroom in time, you don't feel beautiful. You don't feel sexy. You don't feel like a woman. And it's, it can be really, really hard. And there is like, we've talked about that shame and that stigma around the pelvic floor and dysfunction of it. And, you know, it, it, it can be really kind of detrimental psychologically too. And so again, if at any point there's anything that you don't like or don't want to do at your pelvic therapy appointment, you by no means have to do it. It is on your terms. It is your therapy session. It is your appointment. You're in 100% control. We're here for you at the end of the day. Like I tell patients all the time, these are your 45 minutes. This is you. I, the way it's structured here is we don't see multiple patients at once. Mm -hmm. So when you're here, it's, it's you. What yeah. do you need? How do we get you better? You are our focus. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's what we do, what we're going to be talking about. We are so, so excited. If anybody is interested in the dumpster diving story. I was going to say, can we please talk about that? <laughs> Should we go ahead and talk about that? I really do. We have to. We, because I, honestly, it was like a traumatic experience and I think we were both like on the verge of a breakdown. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So we'll rewind. I'll tell my part. You can tell yours. Okay. So Rachel and I partnered together to purchase several hundred dollars. All of this. The microphones, the recording equipment, like all, like we went in on this with our own money. Podcasting equipment is not cheap and we wanted this to be a pretty quality recording. Um, So yeah, so I was so excited. I brought in our hundreds and hundreds hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of podcasting equipment. It was bright. It was shiny. It was new. I was showing it to Rachel. We're like fangirling over it. Like this is our baby. This is just like the joy is there. It's got that new microphone smell when we pulled it (laughs) out of the box. So fast forward at the end of the day, I'm thinking I leave my laptop in my office. I'll just set this podcast recording equipment in this box in my office. It'll be fine. I come in the next day, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, I've got the equipment, I'm treating patients, I'm like three patients in, and I come back to my office, there is no equipment. Box is gone. Gone. The floor is clean. (laughs) The tank is clean. The tank is clean. (laughs) Um, So I panic. We're both kind of standing there like... uh, I'm like, Rachel, uh, 
uh, where, where's the, where's the podcasting equipment? And she was like, uh, the, the equipment. We searched this place high and low. Top two. We look we in have, places. We have our <laughs> office person searching. We have the orthotherapist searching. We are tearing this place apart. Looking we, in places that this box wouldn't even fit. Like, I mean, everywhere. Yeah, we are almost in tears. Our boss isn't in. She's stuck, stuck in traffic. We're calling her. We're texting her. We're like, where is where the equipment? Where taking it? Like, did, the, did the, they say anything? Like, who, did somebody move it? It was there when we left. It's not here now. Fast forward, we're still searching. My next patient gets here. And I'm like, okay, I've got to turn off panic mode. <laughs> I've got to turn on my therapist switch. I'm like, Rachel, you don't have a patient. You stay in I'm panic like, I'll mode. I'll deal with this. <laughs> After talking to our building manager, we discover that the most likely outcome is that our equipment has been thrown away. In the dumpster. In the dumpster. In between <sighs> patients, I, Rachel and I go look in the dumpster in one of the dumpsters. We didn't see anything. No. Granted, we also didn't tear things apart. So we were like, well, it could be in here. It might not be in here. I don't know. We have patients to see today. It's not like we can just jump in. <laughs> Correct. So I go in with another patient and Matt, our sweet baby angel of a building. Blessing from above. Maintenance man. I mean, nicest guy you'll ever meet. If you're a current optimal patient and you see this guy around, just hug him. Just hug him, He's please. just amazing. He's so kind, so awesome, so wonderful. Yeah. While I am with a patient, Rachel and Matt go dumpster diving. Literally, uh, our and boss texts me and she's like, hey, can you go meet, out, meet Matt out by the dumpster? And I was like, Yeah. Sure. Okay, great. And so I get back there and she she had said, she was like, oh, he's got like a little reacher thing that he can, you know, kind of get in, in in the dumpster with the, you know, the little claw thing. And so I'm like, all right. So I go out there. This man is in the dumpster, like sta- like knee deep in garbage, tearing apart these garbage bags, looking for our equipment. And I'm just standing there like outside of the dumpster, like, no, that's not it no um maybe that one and I'm like trying I'm like I'm not getting in there with you Matt and bless I can't believe you would not get in the dumpster for absolutely the not <laughs> love you guys but no <laughs> and this sweet sweet man he's finally tears through one of the one of the bags and I'm like that looks like it might be our trash we use a lot of gloves we use a lot of paper towels so I'm like that could be it that looks like it could be it in there and finally he pulls out this box and I'm like that's it that's it that's it and it has you know all, literally the microphones the recording equipment like everything is just sitting pristine in this box and he looks at me and he's like is is this what it looked like like when you when you left and I was like yeah like the the box was open like the microphones yeah. were pretty much sitting on top the all the wires the equipment like it, it, it was just sitting there like this and he was pissed and so he like we make sure we get everything he gets out of the dumpster we start walking in and he's like I'm taking a picture of this and he like took a picture of me holding the box and was just like so upset on our behalf and just so angry for us that the equipment had gotten thrown away and he was just like they shouldn't have even touched it like there's no reason that this ever should have happened um but lo and behold everything works still yeah so technically this podcast is sponsored by optimal but this podcast is sponsored by matt the maintenance man this episode in particular matt we love you we we would be lost without you 
this podcast was made possible by Matt, the maintenance man. Yeah, Thank the maintenance you. Man. <laughs> we love him. Um, yeah. And then he bought, he brought us treats later yeah. that day. He was like, I'm so sorry that all this happened. We're like, you got into a dumpster. Like, 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 what, what do you mean? You're so, yeah. Long so. story short, it was kind of my fault. Um, I did set the open box of brand new recording equipment near my trash can. So I'll just. How? However. However, um, I'm going to go ahead and assume responsibility, but uh, lesson learned, we hide the equipment now. <laughs> we hide it. We take it um, home. It's on we a rotating. It away. Nobody ever knows where it is. No. <laughs> we got passwords. And, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Safe words for the equipment. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So needless to say, this has been a labor of love. Um, this podcast, like we said, has been a long time coming. We are so, so, so dang excited to be here, to be sharing this and to just. Yeah, I literally so woke excited. up before my alarm this morning with <laughs> pure joy in my heart to like, record Is it time this? to record yes. yet? We've been. We've been excited. We've been waiting. So as we wind down and wrap this up, we want to end every show with just a little blurb of information, um, a pelvic service announcement, a PSA, if you will. Yes. So this week's PSA is... Just because it's common does not does mean, not mean it's, it's normal. normal. Exactly. So thank you guys for listening. You can tune in weekly. We will be releasing... Um, every Tuesday. Yep. So there'll be a new, new episode out every Tuesday. Um, you can write in questions on our Instagram. We're at pelvic service announcement on Instagram. You can also reach out to our personal accounts. I'm at Callie.teal, T-E-E-L. And Rachel is... Is Rachel underscore Fritz. And if you liked what you heard on this podcast, feel free to leave us a rating or review. It just helps this become more visible so that others can see. Um, you can comment there as well. Um, Share yeah. it. Like it. Yes. Get Start the, following us. and Spread the word. Yep. All yep. right. Thank you. We'll see you next week for another PSA. Bye, y'all. Bye.